Please stand for the reading of God's word. So today's scripture is from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 36 to 47. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This is God's word. Please have a seat. Thanks. Good morning. Hope you're all enjoying this thoroughly inspiring weather we're having lately. Well, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, uh, we've started a series that will take us through the summer where we're asking the question, how do you cultivate a rich inner life with God? What does it look like to have this relationship with the God of the universe that is, that is real, that is personal, that is daily, this daily walk with the Lord? And specifically, we're asking the question, what are the disciplines, what are the rhythms, what are the habits that we are to engage in that will help foster that kind of daily relationship with God. And so we'll be spending certain weeks looking at different habits, different core Christian disciplines that help facilitate that relationship we have with God. And we're starting with the most foundational one is the habit of the reading of God's word. And so last week we started that. We're going to spend three weeks on God's word. And last week I started big picture. We looked at Psalm 1 that talks about the person is blessed who spends time meditating on God's word, who takes great delight in God's word. And we talked about the fruit that can come when we do that. I'm thrown off right now. I'm seeing people in different parts of the room that are normally, the O'Neills are supposed to be over there. And I honestly don't know what to do right now. I don't know if that was the the check-in process we have, but I'm really not knowing what to do right now. This is Grace Fellowship Church, right? Got to regain myself here. So this is the image we looked at, right? That that when we spend time in God's word, we are like this tree, Psalm 1 says, planted. We're, We're grounded in these deep eternal truths. We're planted by a stream of water. We have this ongoing source of of life and sustenance and joy from God's word. And of course, there's a, a fruit-bearing quality. These, we, we bear great fruit. We develop the character qualities of God. We, are, we have an impact in the world. This is the kind of impact that God's word can have on us. So today, I want to get much more practical 
And I want to ask the question, how specifically do we read the word of God so that it does have this impact on us? What's the posture we should take? How do we go about studying this so that it will have this impact on us? Or to put it negatively, I want to answer the question, Dave, well, if this is true, then why do I know people who read the Bible all the time and they're still jerks? Why do I know people who come to to a church every week and hear good Bible teaching, and yet I I don't see fruit? When I look at them, they aren't, I don't see them as these growing, loving people. Uh, They they aren't joyful people. They don't exhibit patience through conflict. How can, if, if this is true, then how can a person spend so much time in God's Word and not bear this kind of fruit? And what I want to suggest this morning, well, one is sin dies hard. <laughs> the sin nature dies hard. Uh, but it's possible, but maybe their approach, the way they approach God's word is not the way that he would want. So more positively, putting it this way, how do we approach God's word in a way that it does have this impact on our lives? So I chose a, a, a passage that is sort of a negative example, the example of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees who diligently studied the scriptures, and yet they did not produce the kind of fruit that God desired for them. And so I want to look at their example and ask the question, how can we approach this so we do produce that kind of fruit? We're going to get real practical at the end today. All right, a little context for this conversation Jesus is having. He's having this with the religious leaders. Uh, He is in Jerusalem in chapter 5 of John. He's just healed a man, and he's healed this man on the Sabbath. Okay, so the religious leaders are upset because technically Jesus has done work on the Sabbath, and he's caused this man to do work because he said, pick up your mat and walk. You shouldn't pick anything up on the Sabbath. So he's broken Sabbath. So they're upset with him. Jesus says, let me explain why I did this. And his explanation makes, makes them even more upset with him. What gives me the authority to do these things? And they get even more upset with his explanation. So we're in this conversation about, Jesus, how do you have the right to do what you're doing? How do you have the authority to do what you're doing, to say what you're saying? And this is one of many scenes in the Gospels where it feels like Jesus is on trial with the religious leaders of his day. He's not formally in a courtroom, but it feels very much like a trial. And so our passage is talking about testimony about Jesus. Jesus is on trial. Who, who are those that can testify concerning him that show that he really is the son of God as he claims to be? And so in the passage, Jesus brings up three witnesses that can testify about him. This is all by way of context. Look at verse 33. First, he brings up John the Baptist. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. John, his message testifies about the fact that I was coming. And then in verse 36, he says, I have a second witness. I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing, those works themselves testify that the Father has sent me. He says, look what I've been doing. I'm healing people. I'm giving sight to the blind. I'm, I'm feeding people. I'm loving people. I'm casting out demons. Isn't that, and aren't those works enough testimony that I truly am who I say I am? And then finally, we have his third witness, the most important, verse 37, the Father himself, God the Father. Look at verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Now, let me suggest the Father has testified primarily in the scriptures, okay? In what would be the Hebrew scriptures, what we would consider our Old Testaments now. Jesus saying, the scriptures themselves, the Father through the scriptures has testified and given witness to me. So that is the context of this 
Jesus on trial moment. And then the verse I really want to focus in on this morning is verse 39. He's just said, the father testifies about me through the scriptures. And then verse 39, very poignant moment between Jesus and the religious leaders. Verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There's something in how they were approaching scripture that was really off. I love my translation says, you study the scriptures diligently. And anyone who knows anything about the scribes and Pharisees know that they were diligent in their study. These guys at a very early age had committed themselves to to the Bible, to scripture, meditation, memorization, study. There was a... um, There was a passion to this. There was an obsession to it almost. Uh, To give you an example, these guys would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Okay? Anybody else here got first five books? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Deuteronomy. I've got the names memorized. You know, (laughs) you have the books memorized. They would have that by memory. Okay? These these guys were, they were diligent. I mean, I, I went to graduate school for theological studies. I'm a professional Bible teacher. These guys would have blown me out of the water in terms of the time spent, the focus and attention to the Hebrew scriptures. And yet Jesus says of them, the whole point of the scriptures is to point you to me, to bring you to me. And for, for all your, your all-consuming devotion to this book, when the person that the book is talking about comes to you, you miss him. You do not believe. Now, what is going on there? Let me suggest two big misses that the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day had. Uh, The first is I think there was a perspective that they missed. And I think it's right here in this passage. Uh, The perspective is the study of the Bible for them became an end in and of itself. Right? He says, look at it. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them there is eternal life. You think that this is an end in itself, that in this book is eternal life. And Jesus, of course, is saying, life is not found in the scriptures. Life is found in the God of the scriptures. You're so focused on this book that you've missed the relationship with the person who longs to speak to you through this book. This is a means of a relationship with God. This is not an end in and of itself. Scripture is not the point. God is the point, Jesus is saying. So there's a perspective they're missing about God's word. And there's also a deeper heart issue going on here. There's a lot of heart issues going on here. Uh, The one that comes out here in this passage, you see it in verse 41. Look at this. Jesus says, I do not accept glory from human beings, meaning glory, meaning praise. I don't care what other people think about me, Jesus saying. I don't accept praise from human beings. But then look what he says about them in verse 44. Look at verse 44. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What's he saying? See, you've got a heart issue, and the heart issue is this. You love human praise. And that was true of them. They, they loved living it in a way that people looked at their lives and thought, man, you are, you are really something. I mean, you're a pretty amazing person. And for them, it, it, carried a very, it was a very religiously 
you know, motivated thing. For them, they wanted to be seen as deeply spiritual, as, as people say, man, you're so godly. You're so spiritual. You have so much knowledge of the Bible. And that's what was driving their devotion to Scripture, this desire to be seen as godly, as impressive. It was not a love for God. Look at verse 42. Jesus says, I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You do not love God for all your study of Scripture. You love human praise. You love devoting yourself to this so people would see what an amazingly spiritual person you are. All right, you see that? Okay, there's other things we could say about them, but in this passage, that's certainly true. I was blown away this week by what Jesus says in verse 38 about these religious leaders. He says this, nor does God's word dwell in you. And I was like, how could you, how can you say that of the scribes and Pharisees? I mean, in terms of words on a page, God's words were dwelling in these guys day in and day out, day and night. I mean, they had this memorized, his words were dwelling in them, but in terms of the life giving fruit producing word of God active in their hearts, transforming them, that word was absent in the midst of all the words on the page somehow. Pretty crazy. So I, I you know, I, it's important as we're, we're spending three weeks talking about the Bible, it's important to say this, and it feels very strange for me to say this as a person who has devoted his life <laughs> to the study and teaching of the word, but it's, it's a good reminder to say, to remind us all that this, the Bible does not transform people, and this is going to sound heretical as I say it, The Bible does not transform people. The Bible does not save people. God transforms people. God saves people. And the way he does it is his spirit uses his word and speaks through his word into hearts and minds of people. Convicting, enlightening, encouraging, comforting. But it is the spirit of God who transforms hearts and minds. And the Bible is his main tool in doing that. But we've got to get that clear in terms of how we approach the Bible. And so the question I want to ask today is how do we approach the Bible? How do we read it in such a way that God's spirit does his transforming work? And of course, in the end, that's his role, right? It's not our, it's not our role. It's his role to transform our hearts. But what is the posture that we can take that, that is going to, if I can put it this way, cooperate with God's spirit in the transforming work of our hearts and minds that he wants to do in our hearts. Does that make sense? Anyone want to throw me out of the church? No, you, you know what I'm saying. I love, this, I love this word, so don't get me wrong on what I'm saying there. So before I get into the how, I want to talk 21st century American Christianity. We just saw a first century example, and I want to, I want to give you two of the most common mistakes that I personally see as I just have seen Christianity throughout my life, and how people approach the Bible. It's not that they are wrong, it's that they are not complete ways to approach the Bible. You might find yourself in one of these descriptions. I certainly do. So um, I'm in here with, I'm in this with you. So here's the, the two ways I see people go wrong. Incomplete way of approaching the scriptures. Uh, two kinds of people. The first kind of person is what I'll call the intellectualist, Okay. Uh, I find myself in this one. These are people who read the Bible primarily for information and knowledge. So the view is this, this Bible, it's, a, it's an intellectual puzzle to piece together. 
Okay? It's this source of, of knowledge to try to, to try to figure out and understand. And you know who you are out there, okay? And you know who you are. We're, we are those who, we're the underliners and the circlers and the cross-referencers. We're the ones that know a little Greek, a little Hebrew. You know, we, we, um, we have our concordance nearby and our, our other anchor Bible dictionaries and those kinds of things. All of that is beautiful and a very important part of reading the scriptures. The danger, of course, is that it ends there. The danger is that this book becomes an object of study, Okay, where the book is down here, and I'm up here, I'm dissecting it, I'm investigating, I'm, I'm, I'm opposing my reason on it. And of course, the danger in that is that I'm not actually submitting my heart and my life to the truths that I'm encountering. The danger is that I'm not living it. I'm understanding it, but I'm not living it. And Jesus is so clear throughout the gospel. He said, hey, you're blessed. Not just if you hear and understand this word, but if you actually put it into practice. And the danger is that all of our study, all of our analysis can actually become one large defense mechanism protecting us from having to do a very simple thing, which is actually live it out. So we're the people who you can ask us, what does the Bible have to say about caring for the poor and needy? And we can say, oh, well, John gives it from this angle, and Matthew says it this way, and, and Paul has this thing to say about it. But if you ask me, well, when's the last time you really took care of someone, really reached out to someone who was really going through something? We may not have a good answer for you. Or what does the Bible have to say about patience through conflict? And we could, we've got all the answers, but when conflict comes up, uh, you don't actually see patience exhibited in our lives. Anybody ever met someone? Who fits this bill? So the intellectualists, again, it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. And then on maybe the other side of the spectrum, you have what I would call the pragmatist. Okay? And these are uh, those of us who read for application only. And the view of the Bible is this, this book has a set of principles for living. Okay? This is... Uh, God's instruction manual, right? We've all heard that one. God's instruction manual for living. The goal then is to apply the principle, follow the instructions. If you do that, life will generally, hopefully, go well for you. Now, on the positive, uh, you know, you're putting the Bible into action. Uh, these are those of us who the question is always, what's the takeaway, right? How do I apply this passage to my life today? Or the, what's the so what? Right? Okay, I've heard, I've heard this. So what? How, how do I apply this in my life today? And, and positively, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to live out the Bible. A uh, couple problems, if, it's, if it ends with that, though. Um, one is, if that's your approach to Scripture, um, you're going to get really frustrated with the Bible really quickly. Because there's large swaths of Scripture, scripture that are not going to have any real obvious practical implication for your life today. You'll end up in some genealogy, you know, in numbers. Uh, you'll, you'll hear this long narrative of, of Israel in the, in the wilderness, and you'll be trying to figure out how do I apply that in my life in Orange County in the 21st century, and that's going to be really hard to figure that out at times. So you're going to get frustrated with the Bible really quickly if you just are always looking for the so what. Uh, but more importantly, I think this, uh, you're wanting to obey the principles, right, in the the instruction of the Bible, here's the problem. You are not the kind of person who can obey the instructions of the Bible. 
You have not become the kind of person who can do this. So you see, okay, the application, love my neighbor, right? Be patient with my spouse. The problem is you have not become the kind of person who can love your neighbor. Um, You're too insecure. Uh, You're too selfish. You are whatever it is. There's a deeper work that has to happen in your heart before you can start actually just living out the things that the Bible is telling you to live out. And that can only happen as the Spirit of God over time begins to slowly, gradually transform you into the kind of person who might actually love her neighbor as herself, who might love his wife as he ought or whatever it might be. I want to show you a little diagram here. I want to go back to our Ezekiel series. The problem uh, with the intellectualist and the pragmatist, both of them, um, if I'm either one of those, I can actually do either one of those without God. I can take this and understand the ideas and go from there. I can take this, uh, you know, take out the, the principles and try to live it. I can do either one of those without God. So remember our Ezekiel series. Remember we talked about idolatry and uh, what did I call it? Um, disordered attachments. Uh, these good things, but they may or may not actually help us engage in our relationship with God. And I can approach the Bible in that way where I just go to the Bible. Uh, and then the Bible gives me something back, right? So the intellectualist, I go for ideas. I receive these ideas. The pragmatist, I go for principles to try to apply them. But I can actually do all of that on my own uh, without engaging God in the process. Now, of course, the Bible is God's word, so it's pretty hard to do that. Um, but in a sense, I can have a posture that, that moves me towards that. The Bible has an end in and of itself. The motivation is essentially to build up the self, either to build up my knowledge or to build up my obedience. But it's missing the key component. So what I want to encourage us towards, a posture, is not reading merely intellectually, not reading merely pragmatically, but what I would call, this is going to sound overly simple, but what I would call, when you read the Bible, read relationally. Read for the purpose of cultivating your relationship with the God of the Bible. Jesus says in verse 39, these are the scriptures that testify about me. The purpose of this book, Jesus is saying, is to draw you to me, to draw you into a relationship with me. It's not an end of itself. It's the means by which God speaks to us. It's the means by which God comforts us, convicts us, encourages us, draws us. All these things that God does, it is his great tool in doing that. So the reason I'm reading the Bible fundamentally is not simply for information or application. The reason I read it is to know God better. Amen. Amen. That's why I read this, because I want to know God better. And this is the best way that I can do this, to know who he is, to know his holiness, to know his promises, to know his grace, to know his justice, and to experience him more, to actually experience his grace, which I will experience it through the reading of his word, to experience his comfort, to experience his guidance, and to follow him more closely, to walk with him daily. That's why I meditate. That's why I read this book. So to go back to the diagram, right? We talked about things can either be a, a wall or they can become a window into our relationship with God. And certainly the scripture is the, the clearest window we have in the world 
of our relationship with God. So that as I read the Bible, I'm not just reading the words on the page, but I'm seeing through the words, I'm experiencing who God is through his words. And he is communicating to me through his word. I'm not just reading a book. I'm engaging in a relationship with the creator God through a book that he inspired. that are his words to me today and every day. That is the kind of posture that is going to, over time, transform us so that we become like that tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit. You see the difference there? Okay? Maybe subtle, but really essential. The Pharisees, in all the reading of Scripture, somehow they missed Jesus. (laughs) That's a a big miss, in case you're wondering. It's a big miss. All right, so I am going to get real practical in the last... Seven minutes we have here. Maybe ten minutes, all right? So, okay, Dave, I kind of get this big picture idea. But what does that actually look like? So I'm sitting in my, you know, my bedroom on a Tuesday morning before work. And I've got a Bible. So what does this actually look like? I'm going to dare to get extremely practical and tangible today. This is certainly not the only way to do this. But I think this is a good place to start. Um, There is an insert in your bulletins that I want you to pull out. You've maybe already read it. It is called Reading Scripture Relationally. Now, I don't want to turn this into a formula, so that's the danger of this, because my whole point is this is not a formula. This is about a relationship. But I think there's some basic questions, some basic postures that we can have as we engage in God's Word that will help us. Uh, For some of you, this is going to feel incredibly basic right now. Um, You've heard this for 40 years, but sometimes we need to be reminded of the basics, okay? For some of you, this might be completely new. So I want, want you to picture yourself. You, you've got an open Bible, or you've got your phone with your Bible app. You're going to read a portion of Scripture. Uh, I would suggest a portion about the size of what we have that we're reading today, okay? In my Bible, in John 5, there's a, there's a heading at verse 31 that starts a section that goes to verse 47. So, you know, Almost 20 verses. I think that's a, that's a good chunk of scripture to, to work with. So, and I'm going to just, I'll just use this, this passage of scripture as an example. So here's what I would do. You're sitting, or wherever you are, you open your Bible. What, what, I don't even know what to do. This feels so overwhelming. Here's where you start. Before you start reading the book, take a minute. Present yourself to God. We almost, Scott almost always leads us this way at the beginning of the service. We take a moment just to acknowledge, God, you're here. We don't just start reading the words on the page. We say, God, just take a minute. Maybe it's 10 seconds of silence. God, I want, to, I want this to be about engaging you right now. Lord, I am distracted. Lord, I am anxious. Lord, I am whatever I am. Would you just search me? You know what's going on in my heart. I offer this time to you. Um, use it. Use this time, however you want to work in my heart and mind right now. I want to just make myself available to you. It's amazing how much how we start makes a difference with the rest of the process. If you just dive right in, it's so easy just to go through the motions. So start by acknowledging, not the book, acknowledge the person who's going to speak to you in his word. Lord, here I am. You do with this time what you want. Here's what's going on in my heart. I offer it to you. All right? And then read, read his word. Read the passage. Again, if you, if you don't have some sort of 
reading plan in place right now, I would suggest a chunk of scripture about this size for starting point. You've got enough to work with there. It's not so much that it's overwhelming. But read the passage. And then I've got these four questions that I think are really good questions to ask. Uh, I, I reached out to a couple of people who I respect in this. They had very similar questions to the questions that were in my mind. So I, these come through good sources. Um, I think these are the, the right kinds of questions to ask. You'll notice four questions there. And notice every question starts with what word? Lord, yeah. Lord, what do you want me to learn. Lord, what do you want me to learn? The, the, the issue is, I'm not asking these questions individually. I'm not just, it's not just me in the Bible and I'm asking questions of the Bible. No. I'm engaging God through the reading of the Bible. God, what, what is it that you have for me in this passage today? What is it you're wanting to do in me? Now, let me just walk you through these, okay? First, maybe most important question. Very simple. <laughs> it's going to feel too simple. Lord, What do you want me to learn about who you are today? What is it that you want me to see about who you are? Starting, God, I want my focus in this passage to be on you. Okay, this is the pragmatist is not asking this question most of the time. So let's start with you. What is it that you want me to see about who you are? Chances are, if you've been a a Christian for a couple years, whatever that answer is, you've heard it before. Okay? God, you are holy. God, you are holy. Just, whatever it is. Well, if it's in the Bible so often, that must mean it's because we need to be reminded of that a lot. So it's probably not going to be something new, but it's something important. And hear the answer to that, and then turn that into worship, right? Gosh, I see in this passage, you're holy. Lord, you, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy. Spend a moment. Thank you that you are holy. Thank you that you are full of grace. I need grace today. Lord, thank you. Turn that answer into worship. So let's use this passage, okay? Um, This is a tough passage, isn't it? It's not a very encouraging passage. Um, But what do we learn about who God is? What do we learn about God the Father? What do we learn about God the Son? The Spirit is not explicitly mentioned in this passage. But we learn some things about God. What do I learn about you, God? Well, verse 36, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing testify that the Father sent me. Well, Father, I'm learning that you are a Father who has sent his Son to do works. What are those works? Well, you sent your Son to to heal lame people, to open the eyes of blind people, to, to touch people who first century culture considered untouchable to teach, to give life. Gosh, God, you didn't come. You didn't send your son to condemn the world. You sent your son to save the world. We sang a song. You're a good father. You're a good, good father. That is who you are. Okay? There's about three or four things we learn about who God is in this. You you maybe will just go after one and, and go down it. Spend some time. Verse 45. Don't think I will accuse you before the father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. Well, these guys are going to experience justice one day. Uh, they're, they're banking on Moses. They're going, to, they're going to hear from Moses on the final day. God is also just. And that's a reality. It's God, you are, you are just. <laughs> In the end, people get what they deserve unless they get your grace. <laughs> but you are, you came to save. You sent your son to save, but you're also just. Okay, I can turn that into praise. I can turn that into prayer. 
Jesus the Son. So much to learn about him in this passage. I love verse 41. Look at verse 41. Jesus says it explicitly. I don't accept glory from human beings. Jesus says explicitly, I don't care what people think about me. Jesus, you are very different than me in that way. Thank you that you are that way. Thank you that you didn't, you weren't moved by what the crowds wanted you to do. Thank you that you had a purpose to obey your father and you're going to see that through and you didn't care whether you received praise from people. I want to follow you in that. It's a conversation. All right, next question. (laughs) Lord, what do you want me to learn about who we are as humans today? Okay, basic question. I can promise you the answer will always be in one of two categories. Either you will find out how lame we are as humans. That would be one of the categories that will come up regularly. Or you will find out how much we are worth to God as humans. It'll almost always fit in one of those categories, often both categories. But we learn a lot about who we are as human beings. Verse 39, you diligently search the scriptures, yet you refuse to come to me. Verse 42, you don't have the love of God in your hearts. Wow. It's possible for us as humans to be incredibly religious, to look really good on the outside, and to actually miss God. Wow, that's a scary truth about who we are, Lord. Lord, may I not fall into, may I not desire to look good on the outside, but, but miss a relationship with you. Verse 44, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Man, we have this tendency, don't we, to, to want the approval of others, to compete for other people's attention and affections, for other people to look at us and go, you really are something. You're legitimate. Oh, Lord, I see that in my own heart. I can turn that into a confession. Oh, I totally, Lord, I, I relate to the Pharisees. Help me in that. Guide me in that. You with me? Pretty basic. Pretty important. Third question. Lord, what is the good news you want me to receive today? The older I get, the more I'm convinced This is the the question that is so important to keep on asking ourselves. Lord, what is the good news? What is the gospel that you want me to receive today? The gospel is not something I I believe in simply when I come to faith and give my life over over to Jesus. The gospel is the thing I need to continue to feed myself on every single day. I wake up and I need gospel. You wake up and you need gospel Every single day. Let me take you back to the image of this series. That's our image, right? Overflow. We want to keep bringing our cups back to God, to receiving his grace, his mercy, and love. And so this is the best way we do that. We go to the scriptures and we ask God, what is the good news that my heart needs to hear because my heart needs to hear good news every day. And that doesn't change the more mature I get. In fact, I think more mature people are running on the gospel more, not less, than less mature people. They're taking it in. I love this quote. I've given it to you several times. George Mueller describes his meditation in God's word. He says this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was... To have my soul happy in the Lord. 
The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished by the gospel. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it. Your heart needs the gospel every day. Your mind needs the gospel. And so we need to ask that question, what is the good news that you want me to receive today? This passage does not appear to be full of good news, does it? But it's there. It's almost always there in any passage. There is some version of the gospel there. Look at verse 44 again. There's more options than this, but here's one obvious one. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, and here's the gospel, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus is saying, there is a glory that comes from the only God. There is a glory that God wants to give his children who seek him. It is not the praise of people. It is the praise of the creator. Well done, good and faithful servant. You're my children. I love you. That's the kind of approval we should be seeking, and that's the kind of approval we have in Jesus Christ. And I need to be reminded of that every morning. I need to live from that place of gospel. And then fourthly, finally, we get to the pragmatist question. At long last, a very important question. Lord, how are you asking me to follow you today through this passage? And it could be a bunch of things. Is there a command you're asking me to obey? Is there a sin that I'm to avoid? Is there an example that I'm supposed to follow? Is there a promise I need to embrace? Is there a prayer I need to offer? Is there a challenge I need to face? For me, I look at a passage like this, and I see myself in the Pharisees. I see the times where I diligently search the scriptures, and that becomes a defense mechanism from actually having to live them out. And so for me, the takeaway may be confession. Lord, I want to confess um, this. And would you help me? I don't want my reading of scripture to be about that. I want it to be about you. Lord, work in my heart. Certainly this, this stuff about accepting glory from human beings, right? As someone who struggles with human approval, wanting that. Lord, help me to seek the glory that comes from you. It might be a prayer. It might be an action. It might be reaching out to a certain person. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. And then don't end. Don't just go. Then, then close in prayer. You, you open addressing God. Close by addressing God. Maybe it's a thanks. Maybe it's a prayer of dedicating your day. Maybe it's a prayer of someone that comes up in this passage. Man, this, this reminded me of a friend that I need to reach out to. I want to pray for that friend. I might even jot down, I'm going to make a call to that friend. Whatever, whatever it might be. The idea is you walk away from time with the Bible, not just saying, that was a great Bible study, but saying, Lord, I encountered you today. I met with you through your word. I met with you in your word. Thank you for that. Thank you for working in me, for challenging me, whatever it may be. All right. So your assignment, your mission, should you choose to accept this week? Some of you have a Bible reading plan. Um, Great. Don't you don't need to change it. If you do not have some regular rhythm in scripture right now, I want to turn you to the back of our bulletin. And there's a 
a new section just for this week called Passages for Reflection. What I want to challenge you and what I will do this week myself is to take three days this week, okay? There's also a six-day version if you want that, but I'm going to go with three days. Start what, what you can do, all right? Three days this week, and you have two choices. Either you can do three Psalms, one day do Psalm 27, another day Psalm 90, another Psalm 103. That would be your three days. Or instead, you can do three passages from John's gospel, uh, John 13, John 15, and John 17. Those are when Jesus is in the upper room. This is the night before he dies, and there's some amazing things that he does and says there. So take either the Psalms or take uh, the, the passages in John's gospel. Pick three days this week and take this with you and spend, give yourself 20 minutes three times this week to walk through these passages and do that. If you've got more time, do both. Do the Psalms and then jump into John. Do six days this week, all right? If you only got one day, pick one of these and do it once. But let it be a time with the Lord. My hope is that when we come back next week, some of us can come and say, I met with God this week through his word. I met with God in his word and it impacted me. It's bearing fruit in my life. All right? All right, let me close in prayer. Let me, let me bless that assignment this week. Well, Father, we want to say again as your children, thank you for your word. It is your great gift to us. Uh, thank you for how much fruit you bear in our lives through your word. And so many of us in this room could offer you thanks and praise for all the hundreds and thousands of ways your word has impacted our hearts and minds. And so our prayer is that you would just do more of that. I pray also for those maybe who have never had time in your word alone with you. I pray that this week would be the start of that and that you would bless their efforts in this. You bless our efforts, however meager, however half-hearted we may be, that your spirit would move and guide and direct and give us a taste of what life can be like with you in your word. So bless it. Bear the fruit that you want to bear in our relationship with you this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.